0: Many leaders today know what they should be doing in terms of delegating and, and leading and, and giving autonomy and all of these kind of things, but have trouble going from a head knowledge to actually acting on it and living it out. That's kind of a topic that comes up today, as well as learning from COVID. Beyond well-being. Leading a thriving, generative, and conscious workplace culture, with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. So, with us today on the podcast is Dan Hasler, and uh, he's a rather well-known uh, coach, shall we say, in the in the in the performance area, both with um, sports people as well as with leaders and um, educators and he's really focused on um, building um, happier and healthier people who also operate in the high performance space so welcome to our little podcast dan
1: thanks for having me appreciate it.
0: so um let's let's start you off and maybe just get a little bit more of your background um, and uh, yes kind of kind of lead us up to where you're at today
1: Yeah, okay, so um, I'm from the UK, as the accent might give it away, but I also now now live in Australia, but I qualified as a high school PE teacher um, back in 1999, and basically taught in the UK, taught in Australia, and in 2010, I was given a, a government scholarship to look into well-being and depression in education with a view to kind of uh, exploring, well, how how could it best be addressed? So this is now 10 years ago. And um, I took the angle of, rather than looking at um, external programs or another, you know, six-week or 12-week or another curriculum unit to address wellbeing, rather look at, um, we could probably go a long way to addressing wellbeing if we kind of just looked at how we educate in the first place and sort of if we were to incorporate what a lot of psychologists know about motivation, about sense of meaning, purpose, about mindfulness, um, you name it, a lot of stuff from the world of positive psychology, then we might go a long way to alleviating, not getting rid of necessarily, but certainly alleviating or ameliorating against some of the the other um, stuff that's going on. And it it struck me that that was as important for the adults in education as it was for the kids. And so... Um, as a result of getting that scholarship I was invited to speak at various events and I was invited to write for various publications mainstream publications like Sydney Morning Herald as well as you know journals or or whatnot and without me realizing it that kind of set in motion um, a bit of word of mouth and because the one thing I have in my favor I think and what people tell me is that I communicate in a way that just makes sense which sounds a little bit narcissistic coming out of my mouth as I say that, but uh, I really do try and um, get rid of any any superfluous kind of language and just say, look, this is the way we can think about this. What do you think? And, and we have really good conversations based on that. And so what would ha- what happened was the snowball effect took over and people. Were, I was just getting so many different invitations and opportunities come my way that um, I actually left teaching two th- in 2013 to set up what I do now. And what I do now changes and it's changed significantly this year in the manner that we work, obviously. Um, but now I work a lot with educators, a lot with leaders in various settings and a lot in sport around the, the, the synergy or the nexus, if you like, between well-being, uh, mindset, performance and, and leadership and how we create environments where everybody can be their best. And, and not just be their best from a, a well-being point of view, but be their best from a performance point of view as well.
2: So could you please say more about uh, well-being and mindset? How, how do you create an environment that's conducive to well-being?
1: So, okay, well, I mean, as I said, I used the word nexus before in the symbiotic, I guess, relationship between well-being, mindset, motivation, leadership, and, and so for me... Um, Recognizing that you know, so if we just use, if let's focus on well-being, you know, like and say, well, the way we talk about it is that well-being influences and is influenced by every aspect of human experience, and so separating it out. So, for example, having well-being Wednesday or having a program that does well-being kind of misses the point, in my opinion. And we need to be thinking in a more integrated fashion where it says, okay, well, how does our feedback systems, for example, in a corporate setting, how does that actually, um, you know, intrinsically motivate people to improve, which is great for our business, but it's also great for human well-being, right? This sense of, if we go to self-determination theory, you know, of competence or mastery. Um, Because when you think about from a leader's point of view, you know, leaders aren't, psychologists they're not counselors they're they're bosses and so it's not their job to sit down and counsel people to to enhance their well-being but if they can set up their businesses in a way which not only is achieving business outcomes but enhancing human outcomes as well then it really is it's it's kind of like that it's like a utopia right because people actually feel better as a result of performing better um, and vice, and so then you get this virtuous spiral. People who are performing better who are feeling better tend to perform better again. And, and it's um, a lot of the time we, we feel a lot of the time that it's a one or the other. You can either have high performance at the expense of well-being. So that's where you get the, you know, you've got to work all the hours. You've got to um, burn out. You know, you've, you've just got to make all these sacrifices. And I'm not saying that that's never the case. But, you know, there's there's that one or there's the, oh, well, we do look after well-being. We just need to lower our expectations a little bit. We just need to reduce. And once we set it up like a dichotomy like that, the business case always wins out. You know, the the, the bottom line always wins out over the human line. So if we can actually get rid of that argument for a moment and say, well, it's not an either or situation. What if we could create an environment where people can not only feel their best work from well, but also perform their best? Wouldn't that be interesting? And it's it's a simple idea, but it's not easy to do because of everything people have learned about leadership and working as a team and competition. You know, ever since they were at school, they've been told it's a competition. You know, so it's 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 an interesting space to be in. But when people get it right, they're phenomenal places to be.
2: Mm. Could you give us examples of either organisations that have got it right or what does? Uh, What does it look like when uh, there is an integrated uh, when well-being is integrated in the very fabric of an organisation?
1: Yeah, what it looks like and what it feels like is people are doing things that they they don't have to do. That's what it looks like and feels like. Um, But it's always interesting, you know, because from the outside you never quite know what it (laughs) what it feels like. So um, there are certainly you know, some organisations which appear to be getting things right, um, you know, and whether that's com- like there's an Australian company that gets some really good um, um, coverage in this space, which is Atlassian, which is a software company, um, and they seem to have taken the best of what works. And, and I'm going down even to the, you know, their values, um, the value statements all the way through to how they run meetings, for example. You know, it's always a case of, is this what's best for, for our team? Not what not what's going to make the most money, because what they've realised is if it's what's best for their team, then that team are going to be able to, um, you know, perform better and, and feel better. I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's a challenge for a lot of places, because, as I say, and, and I think I, I do wonder, it's quite an interesting time in these past 12 months, because... Obviously, on the one hand, you're thinking, "Well, there's going to be a lot of people who are so focused now on the on the recouping the money and catching up." And schools are in a very similar thing like this as well. Yeah, they feel like, "Oh, the kids have they've fallen behind. We've got to catch them up. We've got to do this, this, this." But on the other hand, everyone surely in the past twelve, well, yeah, let's say twelve months, but certainly the past nine months have realised the importance of wellbeing. They've realised the importance of being connected with people and how it feels when you're not connected and they have found out that they you know it's quite interesting that people are now asking me how I feel and are genuinely interested in the answer as opposed to it just being a a, a, a passing way of saying hello oh how are you mate no I actually get how are you are you feeling all right you good you know how, how's this year been what are you what you're battling with can we help um so yeah so it's it's uh I think it's a very interesting time at the moment for not just human gen you know, humans in general but the way people might want to think about running their their organizations and their teams
0: um, you've been involved and are involved in working with athletes and um, high performance people that kind of work in that are operating in that kind of field yeah. what some of what some of the, are some, of the um, some of the learnings or uh, they're obviously human beings, so there's some things that come across from that arena into performance in or existing well or whatever it is in, in a corporate uh, life as well or in an organisational um, thing. What's the crossover? How, how do you kind of say, it? what are some of the things that are important in the sporting area to, yeah. to achieve and you know what are the crossovers to the organisational yeah. area?
1: So one of the, uh, it's not a mantra, but one of the kind of themes that we work on is this idea of the minute you stop trying to prove yourself and start improving yourself, everything changes. If you can imagine the athlete who, let's, you know, professional footballer who might be on close to a million dollars a year, who everybody, everybody is criticising Everyone saying they're not worth it, they've not performed for three or four years, you know, um, he's a waste of money, he's letting everyone down, you name it. The mentality of that player simply stops them from doing the things they need to do when they cross over the white line. And so you know, in, in, in the sporting world where so much is around confidence and so much is around, you know, it is around proving that you're better, being the best. And what we try and do is we say, well, let's stop trying to prove ourselves. Let's just focus on what we can do this week to improve ourselves. And let's not worry about being the best because that's largely out of your control anyway. Because I don't know, if, 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 if the three of us were competing on the weekend and my sole focus was to be the best, it's largely out of my control because I don't know what you two have done this week to, you know, and I don't know what kind of game you're going to show up up with. But if I could, what I can control is I can control on what is it that I, I need to do to be my best. And what is it that I can do to improve myself? Because even my best game might not prove myself to anyone because proving myself is the subjective opinion of somebody else. Oh, he's proved himself to me. So what does that have to do with business? Everything, <laughs> because you know so many leaders, so many team bosses, so many people who gain a promotion. You know, so the minute they go from being one of the team to being the team leader, they're filled with that same kind of mentality. Now I've got to prove myself. I've got to stump my, you know, make my mark. I've got to whatever it is, and and the focus even just they start focusing on the wrong things. They start focusing on results at the expense of team cohesion for example you know and the the ends will justify the means so it doesn't it doesn't matter i had to to be brutally honest because he needed to kick up the backside so we got this out on time and a lot of that is less about the actual people it's less about the people they're leading and it's more an ego thing and when leaders start leading with ego or when players start playing with ego they invariably aren't doing what's best for the team or the court, so the sporting team or the corporate team. Um, And so being able to dig into that and being able to, one of the, I guess one of the benefits of being a teacher is that I can walk in somewhere and have no preconceived ideas about how a sales team should run. I don't have any preconceived ideas about how a, a netball team should be run, for example. So I can ask a question without, appearing like I know the answer you know like you know when you're asked the question and you know the person asking the question knows what the answer is and they're just seeing if you know what the answer is whereas I can go in and go why do you do that like if you say you're going to do that why don't you do that and, and they know it comes from a they know I'm not out to get them because I don't I genuinely don't know the answer and um, I've used that to my advantage quite a few times actually um, and it can be quite powerful and, and so one of the skills we try and teach leaders is to do that only ask questions that you genuinely don't know the answer to. And, and you know, because you you learn a heck of a lot more than asking questions that you really know what people should be saying, and then they give you some kind of diluted version of that to keep everyone off their back. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, I guess, one of the main crossovers that we see, mm-hmm. is the idea of it, taking your ego out of, out of it.
2: You spoke about uh, leaders' behaviors, and I know you're writing a book. Um about that, that hopefully yep. will be published next year what what else can you tell us about about that and about the behaviors that uh, leaders uh, could exhibit or not at the moment
1: yeah right so um when i um when i first spoke with the publishers about the book i said you know like seriously do we need the world doesn't need another leadership book Like, you know like there's there's thousands of them right and then i re- like literally felt you know i think a google search brings up close to 50,000 leadership books right we we we've, we've never had more leadership books and and then i realized that's probably not the best thing to say to a publisher so <laughs> you know we don't need more books um, so what i what, what i suggested was that rather than a book which presents a new theory or a new idea, or, um, you know, more to think about. Rather, it just needs to be more of a coaching book, so to speak, and say, all right, you know, I've never worked with a leader who doesn't know about the importance of giving people autonomy, or doesn't know about the importance of delegating, or doesn't know about, you know, I've never met someone who doesn't know about the importance of giving good feedback, or know about the importance of psychological safety never met anyone who goes up or I've never met anyone who argues against it what I have met is countless people who know about it but they just don't know how to do it or it doesn't feel natural for them to do it and so um the book that I'm I'm working on is really an idea around um so how, how do you do what it is you know you should be doing um and and a lot of that's going to be it's not dissimilar to what we were just talking about there you know asking them to reflect on their own ego you know what is it that stops them from delegating out or if they do delegate out why is it that they then keep emailing on a daily basis to see how that person's going with the task that they've said they'll get back to you in the week but i've you know i'll just check in i'll just check up i'll just so it's going to be hopefully, <laughs> um, a book which encourages people to reflect on where they're at in an honest way and then provide um, the steps, I guess, the real tangible processes to form new habits where they feel they need to, or what, or I guess more importantly, where they want to, you know, in the first instance, what's, some, what's an area of their leadership that they want to improve on and, and how do they take that first step towards doing it?
0: Mm-hmm. So, as you talk about that, um, what are some? Are you able to give us perhaps some uh, examples of of um, some of the typical ways that we, as human beings, don't do what we know we should do? do you know, yeah. do you know, because there there are there are quite a few ego based yeah. habits, perhaps, that we don't do what we should do, and then perhaps what are maybe one or two little tips that might get us moving forward and changing those
1: something you know you should do um so i could ask you is there someone you know you should talk to about something is there someone in your life who you know there's there's something that um has happened it's not a big thing it's but but it sort of grinds your gears just a little bit and it'd be better if it didn't happen but you kind of just let it slide because you're kind of hoping more than anything. You're hoping that they realize in time that that's not the right thing they should be doing and they'll sort it out and we'll be sweet. Most people have something like that, not only in their personal life, but more often in their professional. It's the person who comes to a meeting and always seems a little bit distracted. They're always just finishing off something from a previous thing or um, they're on the, or seem to be on their phone in a meeting or... The, the body language isn't right, or whatever, and it's not like a major. Oh, this is a difficult conversation, but it's um, it's just a little bit uncomfy. You know, it's something that it's not that big a deal, but 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 right, and it's that but 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 which implies that you know you should do something about it. And the problem. So let's just use this one as our example because you know difficult conversations or um, you know I- issues around that are a huge contributor, or the, or the things around the difficult conversations are huge contributors to well-being or lack thereof.
0: Right?
1: Right. So let's say, for example, um, you know, someone's five minutes late to a meeting. Right? No big deal, five minutes late to a meeting. Once that starts becoming five minutes late, A lot of the time, or you know, whatever. Then, then it becomes. Then now, I need to talk to you about your punctuality. And the problem is, their immediate comeback is, "Why didn't you say something earlier?" It's always the way. Why am I only hearing about this now? I wish you told me sooner. So, what's quite interesting is we're trying to hold off because we don't want confrontation. We think it's going to be confrontational, and we also think it might be damaging to the relationship. And this is particularly true of people who used to be in the team who are now leaders of a team because they're their mates, you know, or they were their mates. and so, what we talk about is well, let's just and you literally just mention it. So you just it doesn't have to be confrontational and it doesn't have to damage relationships because it could be something like, "Hey, Daryl, I just I noticed that today you were five minutes late. Is everything all right?" And so what that and and so that's a very tangible way of bring because in the in, in the past I wouldn't bring it up. I don't because I'm saying I don't want confrontation and I don't want to damage my relationship with you, Daryl. But if I say to you hey, Daryl, I noticed you were five minutes late. There's no confrontation there. I'm not saying, Daryl, why were you late? I'm saying, Daryl, I noticed. And then is everything all right? doesn't damage relationships. It builds relationships. And so what, and and the problem, the the issue we're trying to address here is that gradual building of a, a mountain. You know, so it is a molehill, let's be honest. You're five minutes late. Everyone's late sometimes. But if we... If we had some, you know, because a lot of people will just they won't re- realize you're late for a reason. They'll re- they'll think you're late because you don't respect other people's time. You know, that's Darrell. It's, it's late an assumption. Again. Yeah, you're making an Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, and that's one of my big big points. And so many of so many things in in the workplace and also in families. Let's be honest, but they're based on assumptions. You know, I assume that you understand what you're expected to do i assume that you would understand how it would make me feel if you didn't do that and usually on both accounts we're wrong (laughs) (laughs) usually because we don't we don't have just conversations around okay you know in this team you know when when the meeting starts at 10 what we're really saying is be here at five to 10 so everyone's ready to go at 10 that's what we mean and so, um, but we never have that conversation. We say meetings start at 10, and then Daryl rocks up at 5 past 10, which means meetings really start about 7 minutes past 10 once Daryl's got himself together. And 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 slowly but surely that builds and builds and builds until it becomes a huge issue. And the point is, it doesn't need to be. And and we talk a lot about rather than having. So one of the chapters in the book will be uh, stop having difficult conversations, start having adult ones, because... The moment we start saying, oh, I've got to have a difficult conversation with Daryl about his punctuality, well, guess what you end up having? A very difficult conversation. Yeah. But if I'm saying, I just need to have a chat with Daryl, see how he's going, because he seems, you know, seems to be late a bit, let's see how he is. Very different, very different setup. Mm-hmm. And Sorry, and, and compound that by me as the boss taking my ego out of it because it's not about you saying, you know, you're, you're disrespecting me, Daryl, by being late. You know, yeah. I sent you an email that said, take the <laughs> ego out of it and just say, all right. Well, here's an interesting situation. Daryl knows we start at ten, but he's always here at five past. I wonder what's going on, mm. and I have no idea, Daryl, what your punctuality is like. <laughs> I can confirm to anyone, to the listeners, that we're you're on time. <laughs> and if anything, I'm the one who, who has been going in and out of the rooms. So. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah,
0: no. I've had my times of not being punctual, I'll just let you know. But generally speaking, these days, it's a lot less stressful for me to be uh, ahead of time.
1: <laughs> absolutely, ab- yeah. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yes,
2: so the topic of um, difficult conversations made me think of uh, psychological safety and what creates an environment where we can talk about uh, potentially things or address conflict in a way that feels safe for everyone so what do you think are the ingredients to create that sort of environment or what else would you like to talk about in terms of psychological safety?
1: Mm. I think um, again um, the idea of taking taking the ego out of it being genuinely curious and trying to build a real sense of empathy for other people in the team. Because psych safety can be at a at a premium, can be quite low if I feel let's say, let's say that we us three were a team and we're working on a project. But let's say that I let's say that if I made a mistake, I might feel it's held against me. Now, why might I feel that? Well, I might feel that because maybe this team is a little bit egocentric. Maybe it is all about who's the best on this team, whose idea was it to do this, etc. What if I feel that um, you know, in some teams, unfortunately, you know, people go to work and they feel that others might deliberately undermine them. Uh, and again, this is all the idea of um ego competitiveness in there. Maybe there's a lack of trust, maybe, maybe there's a lot of pressure. A lot of the time in in teams in, in organizations it's often because the team leader themselves is feeling real pressure from up above and i'll give you one example without giving anything away about who um who i'm talking about but i was working with one first that uh, one team leader who openly said to me i've told my team if anything comes of this i'm going to throw them all under the bus and And, I, and I, said, I said, sorry, can you just clarify what you, what you really said? Because I, <laughs> I was thinking that they were just sort of like making this as a throw. And they said, no, that's exactly what I said, because this person had been to the next level up and had got into strife over something. And the way to handle this was to go back and essentially say, if I get hauled in over this again, I'm throwing you all under the bus. So in terms of psychological safety, I'm going to suggest there's very little happening there. And if there's very little psych safety, then there's very little collegiality, very little collaboration. Everyone's kind of protecting their own, uh, their own domain. Um, you know, you don't put your, you certainly don't put your head up over anything because it'll probably get shot off. And, you know, that that's, it's quite interesting to go into places like that because they, they haven't set out for that. They're telling you, we want to get this right. We want to have our best foot forward. We, we've got to produce the goods here. And they don't recognize that the very way in which they're trying to go about this, you know, the real fear mentality, um, does exactly the opposite. You get an incredible sense of mediocrity you know people just playing it safe doing what doing what's required but absolutely no more and so what when we're working with groups like that what we try and we we shine a light on that you know where and we ask them you know where do you want to be and where are you right now and we create what we call the performance gap and we say well what are some of the things that we're going to have to do to, to to close that you know close that gap to bridge that gap and so that's when we start talking about you know specific language that we might use when we're um, in a meeting, you know, ensuring that everybody has a voice at the meeting, ensuring that we don't interrupt or cut people off, even if we're agreeing with them, you know, we, we let them finish their sentence and then we speak. Um, things which if you're not, careful about how you go about it. it could come across as quite patronizing and it could come across like you're setting up classroom rules for a year three class but but it's remarkable how many professional adults behave like year three classes <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no i
0: can get that and I, I reckon there's that whole thing isn't it where where we take the model of our relationship whether we're a um let's say we're a, a parent and the kids mm. and when we transplant that into a workplace and we act the same when we're the boss man like we're a parent Mm. and treating our um the adult team people as if they're kids yeah and that kind of and then that then then you actually set that up that becomes the triangle doesn't it where you've got the the, and then they then of course the the adults that are there is the workers Or as your team, they actually start acting like kids. So you kind of got this perpetuating um,
1: cycle. Absolutely, yeah. And that's part of the challenge because a lot of people think that's the norm. And and of course, if it goes on long enough, it does. It is the norm. And and that can be really challenging to get people to step out of those triangles to choose. And that's the point to choose because some some people learn how to adapt nine to five, metaphorically speaking, in that they've learned how to play that game yeah um and you know what and this is this is the i, I mean you know our, our paths crossed at that workplace wellness festival you know this is the crux of it how many people do you know wake up on a monday morning and don't want to work you know whether mm. it's at home okay. now or wherever but mm. they fundamentally it, it's not even the work maybe they've quite enjoyed the work it's the conditions in which they have to work which and and i i just think that's given the amount of literature that's out there about how to create I just think that's diabolical to be honest with you yeah.
2: <laughs> has it ever happened to you to to wake up and not want to go to work um,
1: I can honestly say that in my what I would call my proper career so before there were certainly times when I had jobs <laughs> I, I, I'll give you one there, there were certain times when I had jobs before I became a professional um So for example, my first job when I arrived in Australia um, was at a call center, and I'm not gonna name the company, but the company basically um, asked me and my friend who also recently arrived from uh, from England, we were to ring existing customers to see how satisfied they were with the service that they'd been receiving. Unbeknownst to me, about a month earlier, and I'm going back, so I arrived in 2000, um, for the first time I was here on a working holiday and um, unbeknownst to me this company had been on either 60 minutes or a current affair or something like a month before about how awful they were <laughs> to their customers and you know it was just people were paying through the teeth for services they weren't getting etc and so we, we started working through all these numbers of calling people and, and I was looking at my mate, and he was looking back at me, because everyone was just abusing us. So we made a decision at lunchtime <laughs> to leave and not go back. <laughs> because it was just horrendous. But, uh, but other than that, now, I've been incredibly fortunate that, um, you know, I loved, uh, obviously not you know, every day, but generally speaking, I loved working in schools. And and now, sometimes I have to pinch myself um, Uh, the opportunities that come my way. Obviously, there are some things that are sometimes a bit, um, you know, you just have to get it done, you know, the finances side of things, you know, and and this year has been challenging, obviously, with with Corona and running a business. Um, But that said, it's been a good opportunity for me to walk the walk when it comes to mindset and resilience. Um, And I'm, I'm really pleased to say that my team and I really seem to come up with some innovative solutions, which, are hopefully going to, you know, they're going to be a part of what we do irrespective of you know the pandemic they're just things which have come up which again this is actually a really good thing we should be doing anyway so, yeah
0: yeah so as you look forward then and as you look at the I don't know the future of work and uh, future of workplaces and the kind of trends that we're actually seeing probably as you say there's people now that know what they should be doing And maybe 10, 15 years ago, they never knew that. So how do you see the future of work as we move past this pandemic phase? Or, yeah, what's it it looking like from your corner of the woods?
1: Um, I think there's, as I said, I think there's actually, um, I think people are realising the importance of connection and realising the importance of actually caring about the people who you work with. Um, So that's number one. I also think... And this is a double-edged sword. But the idea of work into you know, work-life integration, and so I, you know, working from home, I don't think you'll need to. I don't think you'll need to come up with a, a hugely compelling argument for people to go. No, actually, yeah, do that because companies will realise it's cheaper for them to do that, um, and they probably do have a more engaged workforce if they allow some flexibility. Maybe not every day, because with social beings and going to the office for those in you know a, a lot of what we're hearing is you know that people have missed the incidental conversation so you jump on a zoom call and it's business 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 whereas if you're at work you're sort of having a, a chat before the meeting about what you did on the weekend or it's not that people have done a great deal on the weekend but you know what i'm saying you have those incidental connected moments um but the flip side of that of course will be how do we ensure that um personal boundaries um are respected not just by businesses but also by the individual you know like it's if if you you know for example you know if you've got kids and you say well sorry i've just got to you know because i can now work from home doesn't necessarily mean you should work from home all the time you know and being able to put some boundaries in place mental and physical perhaps is going to be probably the next big bridge to cover because you know, we've not really thought about it. People have worked from home, obviously. People have worked from home for the past 20 years because we've had emails on phones for the past 10, you know, and so that's not a new thing. But what's a new thing is now is that it's actually, no, you can now stay at home. And so I think, um, yeah, just recognising that, again, we don't want it to become the norm where people are working till 10, at 10 p.m. at home just because they can.
0: And do you see as well... Um I don't know is it is there more understanding you're, you're talking about this this increase in connection so in in um in organizations do you see a wonderful workplace like more wonderful workplaces going around you know we hear sometimes that as, as you, well the stats say that still there's 60 percent of people that don't really want to turn up to work on monday wherever it is
1: yeah.
0: but do you see that kind of changing have you seen that
1: um Yeah, I don't don't know if I can attest to seeing an an improvement (laughs) or, or, you know, especially, I mean, this year's just been bizarre, right? So there's no, I don't think we can take anything from this year as actually being indicative of what the next five, ten years are going to be. But what I, I'll just, I guess, revisit what I'm saying. People, there's been, up until this point, there's been no case for change. Right? So people knew you could work from home. People knew we could care more about people's well-being. They knew we should say thank you for people. We knew blah, blah blah. We knew that. but there wasn't really that compelling case for change. You know, at the end of the day, just get your figures done, get it, get the products out the door, whatever it is. as long as that's happening, yeah, I'll, I'll know about this stuff, but I don't necessarily need to do it. A global pandemic presented a fairly compelling case for change in how we operated. And so now, and this is, this is really true in our work that we're seeing with schools, is saying, well, how do you make sure that you keep the best of what's come out of this? Because there has been, you know, global pandemic aside, and in Australia, you know, we've done relatively well compared to the other. I mean, obviously, far too many people have passed away and far too many people have suffered with it. But relatively speaking, um, you know, we seem to be okay, not okay, that's the wrong word, but we've done better than other countries, not that it's a competition. But the challenge is how do we, so in schools, for example, when you know that a kid has actually done better at home as as a result of not being stressed by people around them and being able to actually engage with the teacher without fear of being embarrassed or humiliated or whatever, what's the moral imperative when we say, well, all kids now have got to go back to school on that kid you know and it's uh, and, and and you can play the numbers game you say yeah but most kids will be better off and yeah most kids might be better off but what about those kids there who aren't how do we cater for them because now we know we can and that's the point we now know we can cater for those it's whether we choose to or not we now know that people can work from home and we can have more flexible arrangements with parents and whatever we now know we can the, cho- the cho- are we going to um so yeah, it'll be it's going to be interesting, and particularly obviously with you know the, the the financial challenges which are going to come with this and the economy and the amount of people who are seeking to get back into some form of employment. I think having those flexibility, you know, the fle- will the flexibilities and the and the positives that could are, are possible. Will they be embraced or will they be ignored? as people are scrambling to get back on an even keel. And I think that's going to be interesting to to see. Hmm.
2: We we could listen to you for hours. (laughs) Uh We're getting to the end of our uh, episode. Um, And um, before we let you go, uh, I just wanted to ask if there is any closing remarks you may have and also how do people stay in touch with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a, a closing remarks. So I, that's always an interesting, uh, closing remarks. Yes. Um, it, one of the things I'm, I'm really interested in is how many organizations, how many teams are asking their people what they've learned out of the past 12 months, both as an individual, about themselves, as a family unit, as a, as a, as a, as a, organizational unit and saying okay well how do we make the bet you know how do we take what we've learned and make 2021 as best as, as we can and because there are there are learnings to that we've had here and and there are learnings which can help us enhance what we do so I would encourage as much as you can to, to spend time doing that um, because as I said, the, 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 you know, this is a moment in time where we didn't have a case for change before, but now we do. So let's not waste it. And let's see if there's anything there that can help us create places which are more, are better for our people. Um, and so your second question about how people can keep in touch, um, um, if they just Google me, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know Dan Hasler. Um, they'll find my website, Insta. Twitter <laughs> LinkedIn um, uh, yeah I'm all, I'm all over the place on online so that's probably the best that's probably the best way to get hold of it
0: you've been listening to beyond well-being with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. now to get in touch with Dan hasler as he mentioned you can just search him out and the best way to search him out is actually to type in his last name uh, as it's actually spelt which is H A E s l e r and of course you can get in touch with lena mberku on linkedin or via her website at macroleaders.com.au or myself daryl brown you can uh, search me up on linkedin and i'm also at upside down if you enjoy uh, the podcast please share it around and um, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again next week